Well, hello and welcome, everybody. It's rowing chat time again. I'm your host, Rebecca Caro uh, from Row Perfect UK. And today I, of course, have a guest with me. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, hi, Rebecca. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt Rostron. I'm the CEO, the Chief Executive Officer of London Youth Rowing. Uh, based in London. I've been here eight and a half years um, now um, working for, as I say, London Youth Rowing, LYR, which is a charity which is 10 years old this year. And what does London Youth Rowing do, Matt? Sure. Uh, Lingy Throwing is uh, a charity. Um, it's often confused with or thought to be part of the national governing body, but it is a standalone charity that was formed, as I say, 10 years ago by a guy called James Downing. Jim Downing, who um, American ex-city banker, whose sons were lucky enough to row at quite a high level. And seeing how they benefited and how they uh, uh, they embraced the sport of rowing and what they got from it. He decided or wanted to see how you could expand that sort of idea into parts of London that wouldn't normally get the opportunity really. And the original vision statement and the original sort of mission of London Youth Rowing sort of still stands today, which is to open up the sport of rowing to those young people who wouldn't normally get the opportunity to do so. And and, and and that sort of focuses on everything that we do and and sort of guides everything that we still do 10 years on. Um, as I say, we are a, a, a charity. It's one of the biggest community rowing programs in the world. There are a lot of them. Um, it's sort of based on a sort of template that sort of runs across the world, but we're, we're certainly one of the biggest now. Um, we get a small amount of funding from from the national governing body and various other places to help sort of deliver some of their participation numbers but our main sort of uh, funding comes from uh, government sport funding to help sort of drive participation in those hard to reach areas and sort of less advantaged areas of, of London generally. When we originally started it was based in East London which is um, a sort of a, a ways away from the usual sort of boat race Oxford Cambridge boat race course of Putney to uh, to what the people have seen on the TV so many times and what we wanted to do was to sort of open up the opportunities and, and give more people experiences really to see whether the sport is for them to see whether they sort of bought into it like the rest of us have done over the years but actually just to give them the chance to, to try it so many people we sort of worked with originally it, it they, they never believed it was for them it was a sport that was elitist it was thought to be sort of a push type sport um, and that was that was sort of a tricky uh, thing for us to be able to sort of develop and what we had to do really was to start by bringing indoor rowing into those sort of state secondary schools so they could see and feel indoor rowing as a sport in its own right and from there we hoped that they, they would then sort of go on to uh, to develop on water rowing. That's really, really interesting. So you alluded to a couple of things there, which I'd like to dive into in a bit more detail. Mm. One was you said that it's part of a worldwide network of organisations. Can you tell us a little bit about the other people out there who have got a similar mission in different countries? Sure. Um, it, part of a worldwide network is, um, I think, is sort of painting it too broadly. Um, it is a 
community rowing and community grassroots sport development, I think, is is across the world and is growing in popularity. And certainly the numbers, I think, of people active in sort of grassroots community sport is, is increasing. London Youth Rowing was based on almost a sort of a, a model of uh, what's happening in the States. Um, there are organisations which uh, that we know very well and we work very closely with, uh, Community Rowing Incorporated in Boston being one, um, where they're sort of slightly more focused and have been slightly more focused on on water rowing, working with the Boston sort of public school network. Um, whereas what we wanted to do was to sort of look at how best to do that and our sort of early days we were more focused on on water rowing based at the London Regatta Centre in East London but actually very quickly if that was plan A and we're now on plan W or plan X um, that original sort of plan didn't make that much sense because people didn't have access to the water and they didn't uh, they didn't think that they could get access as easily as they can. So that's why we sort of had to develop an indoor element to what we did. Um, and I think we're probably as successful as you can probably get by doing that, by um, by counting the sort of numbers and looking at the sort of numbers and, and groups that we, work, that we work with purely from an indoor rowing point of view. Very, very interesting. So going back to the very early years, Matt, how long have you actually been with the group? Yeah, so I, I started eight and a half years ago. I um, I was approached by Jim Downing really in the very early days. It was sort of 18 months, two years old at that time. Um, and, and the conversation round then was to how to expand indoor rowing and how to sort of develop into different areas. Um, I was running uh, I had a sort of day job up in the north of England. Um, I was a member of a local rowing club. I had joined Hollingworth Lake uh, in my sort of mid twenties. I became events organizer really quite quickly because there was a definite need. Um, Hollingworth Lake is in a um, it's set on a nature reserve up in the Pennines. Um, and because it's set up in the Pennines, it catches the wind quite a bit. So they haven't had a regatta for some years. And they were looking at ways of sort of promoting themselves as a club. Mm -hmm. um, I got involved in an event sort of point uh, to try and, if we can't run a on-water regatta, then we should, in it, we should run an indoor regatta. And that's where we sort of ran our first indoor rowing competition. That quickly became the North of England Indoor Rowing Championships which quickly became the English Indoor Rowing Championships now. Um, within a few years, we moved into Manchester, and it's still run um, every year in the Manchester Velodrome, which was built for the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Um, so we started that a very long time ago, and because of the success and basking in the reflected glory of, of that success, we um, thought we were sort of invincible and thought we could um, set up the regatta as well. So we formed what was the uh, the North of England Sprint Rowing Championships and we did it slightly differently really because what we wanted to do was to try and encourage people to come back to a regatta and to a rowing club where they hadn't been uh, racing for some years and it wasn't on the uh, race calendar. So what we did, we set up a, uh, a Victor Ladorum type prize. Lots of clubs and lots of regattas and head races do this now but back in the day it was it was it was quite new, where we would get local sponsorship. We would raise 
a lot of money and to pay for uh, to pay for prize money. And what we did was to then allow people to sort of double up and treble up. Um, it was a case of it was a very short course, so it was, it was three lane, four five hundred meters. Winner stays on. So and everybody who hit the water sort of developed points into the into the ongoing tally. So. Um, what was interesting was it meant then that clubs would turn up and they would bring anybody you'd ever sat in a boat really because <laughs> just by putting them on the water and getting them a chance to race it meant that they would then sort of gather points and, and points ended up with the possibility of winning the Victor Ladoran Prize and it, it sort of worked immediately really from a financial point of view uh, the club benefited enormously and still does I believe but actually from a PR point of view, it was really interesting because people bought into that idea of very early September. It's a fun event to do. You can take everybody along. You can take all those people that have turned up to their club and, and tried rowing for the first time during the summer. You can put them in boats and take them to this uh, to this regatta, which is up in this nature reserve, not very far from town, and um, it was very successful. And because of those two sort of events, um, I was then sort of introduced to Jim Downing, who was running the New Throne and uh, was the founder, founding chairman, and he's still a chairman. Um, I was introduced to him through Concept Two, who I was doing quite a bit of work with uh, through the uh, North of England Indoor Rowing Championships, and that's really how it sort of started and how I how I joined. That's really fascinating. I love the concept of the winner stays on. I think I should get you to write down exactly how to run that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are lots and lots of clubs who didn't know that race format existed and could benefit from it as a fundraiser. Uh, absolutely. And it's really interesting, actually, because I, I've mentioned this a few times and, um, and people, uh, they're putting their ears up at that because it, it isn't what is done now. It is very much that you can get to a point where you can race in the morning and if that's the only sort of category you're doing you could easily race two three times in the day and that's it whereas what we wanted to do was if you could uh do the draw properly um you could get a situation where you could get a uh, the novices the senior men uh junior girls all on the water at the same time and then the boats come in uh, the junior girls hand over their boats to the junior boys and everybody's sharing boats. Um, the winner stays on, as I say. Everybody's gathering points as they stay on the water for longer. Um, it's only a short course, so people, um, it's not sort of taking too much out of people. It's very quick, very punchy, but we got to a point where we were running, as I say, it was one of the biggest, I think it became one of the biggest single day uh, regattas for a while. Um, because, as I say, clubs would bring just about everybody they could. And from a financial point of view, hey, that works from a fundraising element, if clubs are interested, is that actually if you raise the money to act as a Victor Lador and type prize that you give away, um, you get to a situation where clubs are putting so many entries in. I remember uh, the club that won it the very first year, they took away a cheque for £1,000 and their entry fees were £840 or something. So it was... It's, it's It worked really, really well for us. Um, it also meant that we had a rule in the club that nobody from uh, Hollingworth Lake couldn't win it. I don't know if that is still the case now, but it meant that all our guys uh, weren't entered into our own regatta just because they wanted to race. We were 
we sort of told everybody that if you get to race on the day, that's a good thing. That's great. That's a bonus. But actually, the point of the event is to run the event. And if that means that your own members don't get to race, that's fine. And <laughs> the outcome was great because the whole club sort of pulled together in to deliver this event for everybody else, really. And it sort of grew and grew. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Does it have a name, this type of racing format? Uh, I I don't. I'd love to name it after Matt Rostrum, but I don't think I'd let, uh, nobody's going to let me get away oh, with that. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't. Um, I, no, I'm more than happy for people to come up with it. I'm sure it's out there. It's used in different sports. I'm sure it is. Um, it just at the time, it wasn't used in, in rowing at all, I don't think. Fantastic. Right, back to the action of uh, London mm. youth rowing. Can you um, tell us how you get a youngster who's never rowed before, yeah. how do you get them going? What's, what's the formula that you use? Yeah, okay. Um, we have developed, as I said, we're, we're onto sort of Plan W or whatever it is now. Um, and we have... An, one of the benefits of Lunia Thrive, as opposed to being a national governing body, which, which is which is sort of tough, really, because uh, it's it's much easier for us to change direction and to think about what we want to do and think about what might work, and try it. Um, national governing bodies generally, and not just rowing, but across all sports, have a different mindset and a different set of responsibilities, and it's not easy for them to do that. So, what we've been able to do is. Think of different ways of, of, of developing indoor rowing and on-water rowing. How best to uh, increase participation and ensure retention. And then see if it works, try it. If it doesn't, then we can sort of further develop. If it still doesn't work, we can keep tweaking. If it doesn't work again, we can drop it and move on. Um, and because of our sort of funding and how we are funded and our management through our board, They've always been very relaxed and very comfortable with us coming up with new ideas and trying different ways. So what we would do is uh, we currently run a model that sort of works very well, um, which is that we would put indoor rowing machines into local schools and youth clubs and community groups. We would back that up with some of the best coaching on the planet, um, he said. Um, he would say that with me. Uh, we then uh, support the teachers by... Uh, coach education and uh, sort of developing their skills produce sort of really interesting all interest uh, easily readable and sort of usable resources so people can sort of track and log their uh, performances they got and develop indoor rowing as a sport in its own right now that has been said many times and a lot of people claim to do that and and it certainly has been done to great effect by concepts around the world. Um, and we are a huge debt of gratitude to concepts anyway. But what, what we needed to do was to develop that into schools where they were being approached. And back in the day, this was before uh, the London 2012 Olympics. There were a lot of organisations that were visiting local schools and community groups, talking to them about how they might develop sport in their schools, promising the earth. Um, Whereas what we were trying to do was to do exactly that, but ensure that it was sustainable, ensure that there was a sort of long-term benefit and a long-term sort of goal for everybody. So we would try to set up support, uh, indoor rowing as a sport in its own right. We did that through sort of competition frameworks, and uh, a lot of that was through borough competitions. So 
London is split up into 32 London boroughs. And we would sort of work across all of them. Uh, we developed a competition framework, London Youth Games, who we've been working with for a policy first for eight years. Um, as I say, the borough competitions will be sort of help team selection for those uh, for those across London games. But then also set up our own competitions, um, the most popular being uh, NJERG, which is National Junior Doroin Championship, which is held in March every year in London, which is now one of the biggest, the biggest indoor rowing competitions in the world. Um, with last year we had two and a half thousand, a regular get over two and a half thousand entries. Um, what that does, um, the reason why we did that was to develop a as I said, a competition framework to give young people a goal. So of the 80% of all the young people that we work with, which is many thousand every year, 80% of them aren't going to get onto the water. Their sport is going to be indoor rowing. And we had to set them to achieve goals that they could hit and that they could use as targets. So it could be that the goal for them might be to go to a competition, but the goal could be that they wanted to compete at NJOC, for example, this national event. Um, and then from there, what we were doing is, because you've then set up indoor rowing in the schools and these community clubs and youth clubs, you then back that up with resources, with community coaches, and you've got resources, data, and you've coach education with the teachers and the youth workers to enable sustainability. The next stage then is to expand the number of on-water opportunities that are available. Um, back in the day when I started, there were, we were based at the London Water Sports Centre, or it used to be called the London Regatta Centre in East London. Uh, we're now at sort of 10, 11 different locations across London, and they vary in size. Um, but they are all uh, uh, venues where young people can try on water rowing in different uh, they, they range from a lake in a park, they ride up to Thames Rowing Club in, in the Putney Embankment that everybody sort of sees from the boat race start. So the, the, the model then works that young people then, they're in the East Indoor Rowing Club, there are 10, 11 locations nearby that they can go and visit if they wanted to. We then set up free taster sessions for those young people to try on water rowing. From there, we then set up learn to row type courses where people can sort of buy into a four, five, six week course where they can learn the very, very early basics. The rule there is to make it fun and interesting. Maybe not teach them too much, but maybe focus on one part of the stroke. So they, they learn how to do something quite well, but ensure that they do that in a sort of fun, safe environment. And then allow those young people that want to sort of develop onwards direct, easy access into local clubs. Um, we then support that by providing on-water coaching in four or five sort of clubs in Iceland as well. So it means then that their community coaches are going to work closer with the rowing coaches at the venues and build that link. Um, and from there you get a situation where young people join in a lot, sort of retain them into the sport. That's a very, very comprehensive programme, Matt, and really, really impressive. Um, how does a club get involved with you if they want to? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a good question. And we 
it, it's worked several several ways in the past. We've had clubs that have approached us and wanted to be involved where um, the, the, the opening question has been that they would need to, or they have a need to sort of develop a junior section within the club. Uh, we also have, have, have had clubs that have, so we have approached them because logistically and uh, geographically it works for us. It's, it's a good stretch of water. It's close to a big development of indoor rowing clubs and, and indoor rowing in schools and local community clubs. So it would work very neatly with us or for us to be able to sort of develop on water in this area. So we've done it several ways. The, the most recent way uh, is with a club in West London, our, our latest club that we've sort of just started working with, which is Thames Tradesman, where we we were approached by Thames Tradesman to sort of talk about their junior section and their overall membership numbers. From that very early conversation, we were sort of looking at what we could bring uh, to Thames Tradesman. And at that time, we were sort of based at a, a sort of local club nearby where we didn't quite have some of the access to gym space and uh, ergo space that we needed for our group. And Thames Tradesman at the time could help us by providing gym space, uh, ergos, uh, um, ergometers for, for training at the right time, um, access to a fleet of boats, etc. And we could provide a junior membership plus coaches, plus head coaches, plus the sort of backup of London Youth Rowing generally. And actually, it works out very neatly. Um, the club and clubs generally have uh, the facility and have a fleet of boats. And because from a historical point of view, they've always been able to sort of develop that side of it. And clubs do have boats and do tend to have volunteers and do tend to have facilities. And clubs find it more difficult to provide funding for ongoing coaching costs. Um, it's a little bit easier to get somebody who wants to buy the club a boat or wants to keep the light switched on, but it's less easy to pay ongoing costs year on year for coaching. Whereas London Youth Rowing can do a bit of that because the numbers of young people that we're working with uh, every year means that we are uh, more of an attractive offer and people see that it's better way of funding to uh, sort of provide funding to London Youth Rowing, but we're dealing with many thousand young people as opposed to a club that's dealing with 20, 30, 40. Um, and that tends to be how it works. It, it works both ways. Mm. And your funding sources are what? I mean, do the kids row for free? Um, no, they, uh, it, it also helps the sort of funding back into the club, really, because um, it's, it's changing slightly now where uh, they will row for the club um, and race for the club colours. So, but... Uh, as I say, that, that changes ever so slightly. With, with tradesmen, for example, the junior section is LYR tradesmen, whereas uh, other clubs, they will race and, and train and be a member of that club. So if we were to do some learn to row type novice development, we would uh, charge a very small amount. We have always said that it, it's a shame on us, really, that if we charged a young person some money that they then couldn't afford to sort of get into the sport then then that would be the wrong approach for us whereas 
what we can do is we can charge a very small amount. We can offer a sort of free session for people who can't afford that. But once they do become a member, then they pay that membership directly back to the club. Um, so it increases the club membership um, and it includes, includes and increases the sort of link uh, between uh, us and the, and the host club. Can you say how much that small amount is? Uh, the small amount for? Uh, for, for? For joining. You said the member, we charge a very small amount. Yeah, sure. Um, we would do a learn to row course over five, six weeks and charge somebody maybe £30. Yeah. GB points for that. Um, and there are sort of different sort of situations where some of our coaches have come back to us to say that there might be a training camp or there might be a rowing course that they want one of their juniors to take part in, but they know that they can't afford that and we would uh, do what we can to step in at that point. Fantastic. So we got a question from Elizabeth from Rochester in New York and she says, for individuals who've never rowed before, do you think it's better to start them in tanks, row, indoor rowing tanks, or on indoor rowing machines, or is it best to start on the water? Sure. Um, I, it, it's been some years since I've uh, actually coached any rowing. Uh, those people who know me will laugh at that. Um, but my feeling is that I think there's a progression that young people buy into very quickly. And... To make it as clear as possible, I would, and we would always recommend that they would start on an indoor rowing machine. Mm -hmm. So we would sit them down, uh, we would go through the technique. If there is a tank available, we would sort of move on to the tank uh, quite quickly, I suppose. Um, but we would sort of progress through that stroke uh, as we go along. The, there is a knack of making an indoor rowing machine fun. Um, it, it's not always easy. Concept two won't appreciate that, but it's not always uh, the, the most fun uh, sitting on a rowing machine. But our coaches, as I say, are some of the best out there, and they have developed different ways of of engaging young people into the sport of indoor rowing and making that really fun and interesting. Up to a point where they are exercising and doing the sort of perfect stroke without actually knowing that a they're doing any exercise and b focusing on doing the perfect stroke. From there. If you are lucky enough to have a tank and a rowing sort of indoor rowing tank facility, then I would certainly sort of move them onto there and take exactly the same rowing stroke from the rowing machine and drill that into them really by doing that on the water. And then only then I would sort of move them, uh, uh, move them onto the water outdoors uh, from the tank into sort of a, a rowing boat from there on. That's really interesting. So you are absolutely firm that the technique that you row on an indoor rowing machine is exactly the same as the technique that you teach on the water or in a rowing tank. Uh, the very basics of indoor rowing, I think, are the very basics of on-water rowing, uh, I think. Uh, people are going to be shouting, I imagine, at this, but I think if you can do the perfect stroke on a rowing machine and then transfer that into the into a boat, you're going to be a long way down the line of getting the right stroke to be able to sort of move the boat forward at the right speed, I think. So Matt, just talking a little bit about um, what other people are getting from listening to you. Um, we've just had a tweet in from SR Fawcett who says, how do I get more information about this? I've been looking into doing my L2, S and C to go on to my L3. And yeah. he He's gagging to know more. 
Are your materials, your resources available publicly? Um, no, no, not really. <laughs> it is uh, it, it's sort of worth remembering that we are a charity that is funded. And we, I'm lucky in that I get, my role sort of enables me to sort of spend all of the money that we as an organisation raise by doing all of the fun stuff that sort of helps us sort of develop what we do. That said, I'm more than happy to sort of have conversations with people uh, if they want to contact you or contact me. I would happily look at sort of sending out some of our resources and sort of looking at what we're doing. Um, if that if that's of, of any interest, for sure. So just to pin you down on that firmly, could we put that up on our blog? Sure, definitely. Fantastic. We will we will talk we will talk after the fact. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, I hope, Elizabeth, that that answers your question. And um, we'll move on now to a question from Ian, who says, did all this seem possible when you first started London Youth Rowing? Um, <laughs> he says he's trying to do something similar where he lives and it seems to feel that he's getting nowhere very slowly. <laughs> do you have any advice um, for Ian? Blimey, that's a great question. Um, did we? Did we? Uh, did we think it was going to like possible? this one? Um, yeah. Yes, sort of. Um, I think is the answer. Uh, definitely, maybe. Um, <laughs> we had talked talked about it a great deal uh, before we sort of got started. Jim Downing and I uh, spent many many hours uh, thinking about how this might work. We came up with lots of different ideas, lots of plans. Um, we scrapped a lot of them really early on, um, but we always had the idea that actually, from a development point of view, if we wanted to increase the numbers of young people that could gain access and gain opportunities and experiences of rowing, that we could find the right model to do that. Um, the new rowing looks very differently today as it did when I first started. It certainly looks differently to when it, it first started. Um, it was launched with great fanfare, um, it has to be said, and there's some great support from British Rowing and Sport England and various other people at the start. Um, and it, but it does look differently now. Uh, it, it, it does look different now. There are um, there are lots of people working on youth rowing, it seems, and there's lots of ideas, and, and most of the best ideas, all of the best ideas from youth rowing have come from within, really, have come from the coaches themselves who are thinking about the issue and the problems and the challenges that they're facing and, and trying to work out how best to address them. Blue Youth Run, I think, has been successful because it's been able to talk to the people that it wants to work with, determine very quickly and neatly what it is that they need, and then on top of that, try to then determine how we can address their needs by doing what we do, but without sort of moving away or mission drift, I think it's called, drifting away from our original goal. So how do we keep uh, true to our original goal and our vision, but enable us and ensure that we sort of deliver against what it is that people that we're hoping to work with, what it is that they need. Um, I think if Ian's finding it sort of slow to get going, I think it, I, I would suggest that that is a way of doing that really, is to find out what the goal is, and it could be a very sort of small, short goal right now, but there should be one. 
then find out what it is that those people that you're sort of going to be working with at that point, what it is that they need and address that. Once you get to that situation, once we were able to sort of meet with 30, 40 state secondary schools, and, and I personally sort of spent several months right at the start of learning throwing visiting as many PE teachers and sort of PT teachers in, in East London as I possibly could. I had nothing to offer at that point. We didn't have any rowing machines. We couldn't give them access to anything. There was no funding, no coaching. I just wanted to go meet them to find out exactly what it is that they needed from uh, sports development and a, uh, an organization like London Youth Rowing. And from there, we, 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 we sort of developed this, this plan then. Very, very interesting. And how generous of those people to give you their time and insight into their world and reality. Absolutely. Um, and, and it was vital, really, at the time that, that, that we did that. And it was, it was very, very useful for us. Um, and as I say, at the time, they were being approached by lots of different organisations who were getting part funding and small amounts of funding to develop sport within East London in the run-up to the Olympics. So it was a huge amount of trust, really, that they showed in us. Um, and, and we sort of worked very closely with them and sort of tried to encourage them to sort of give us that feedback. But also, I think what it meant to us that we felt duty-bound then to actually go ahead and deliver what it is that they needed. So we would talk to them on a sort of semi-regular basis about if we had an idea for a competition, would they would they come along to it? Would they go? Is it the sort of format that they liked? What's the feedback about it? What what it is that what was it that you really liked? What is it that you didn't like? And we sort of took that feedback on board all the time. Yeah, it was very interesting in my own personal experience teaching uh, rowing to ten to fourteen year olds at Taipei yeah. Scholars. We found that the national governing body, although verbally supportive, had no resources to help us uh, in some respects. And we developed our own model of how to teach on water rowing. And we came up with an interesting challenge at one point. We wanted to have a small head race regatta yeah. for youngsters who had either never participated in a regatta before or had never won anything. And we were very clear it needed to be free to enter. The prizes were lollipops. Uh, it needed to be safe. And we wanted to invite other clubs to participate. And I ended up contacting Di Ellis, who at the time was the chairman, and saying to her, we've got a problem. We can't run a regatta on our river, which is the River Thames, without closing the river, incurring significant costs and getting two million pounds of public liability insurance. How do we overcome this? And she was charming and very helpful and found a loophole for us, which was that we had a private match, which allowed us to invite four clubs in addition to ourselves to compete yeah. and to bypass the rules. And so we had a very nice, very low-key event, which was successful at the level that it wanted to be successful. Uh, but we did find that we were producing situations that no one else knew anything about. And I expect yeah. you found the same thing. Very much so, really. Um, we we had uh, we were lucky enough to have. Um, senior management from British Rowing on our board and, and still do in an advisory role. Um, 
And it was really useful, actually, to be able to sort of say these things out loud. These are the sort of things that we want to do and want to try um, and gauge the feeling from the National Governing Body, but also then sort of gauge the feeling from other people that we were working with. Um, there's a chunk of what we've done which has never been done before, I think. And, and that's one of the joys, I think, of London Youth Ryan is that it can think about different ways of doing things. Way back, back in my Hollandworth Lake days, where we you know, came up with a different idea for a sprint rowing regatta, because it's never been done before, and the very mention of somebody saying we've never done it like that before was the sort of fuel to our fire in a way. That was okay. So the very fact that it hasn't been done before doesn't mean that it can't be done, and doesn't mean it's the wrong way of doing it. You just have to look at things differently. Very, very nice. Right, we're going to take. A short pause now and have a word from our sponsor. Rowing Chat is delighted to announce the new RP3 monitor, which can be retrofitted to all Row Perfect and RP3 rowing machines. This Android tablet computer has free software app, which you download to enable the interface data and force curve to display in real time as you row. The question most coaches ask us is, how do my Row Perfect scores compare to Concept 2? On the monitor, you can choose to display 500 meter splits for ERG, which will allow you to train on an RP3 with all the benefits of a dynamic rowing simulator while reading your C2 scores on the screen. Test the monitor for yourself. Contact rowperfect.co.uk to arrange a free trial. Right, so we're now back with Matt Rostrum from London Youth Rowing. And uh, we've got a question here, which I'm going to tell you came from one of your former colleagues. And he wants to know, what's the pathway to rowing clubs like for athletes from inner city London schools that are training with London Youth Rowing? Uh, sure. Um, I'm, I'm thrown by it's a former employee. I was expecting a more uh, difficult question than that. Um, it, it, it's very clear, I think, um, the pathway that we've sort of developed. Um, it's based on the model that we were talking about before, which was um, we, we would look to put indoor row machines into local state secondary schools that didn't have them thereby sort of building indoor rowing sport in its own right. As I say, we would then sort of back that up with some of the best coaches around, uh, some great resources, um, coach educate some of the teachers. And, and, and I think the coach education of the teachers is key actually in this because what, what tends to happen is if, if you're not careful that teachers and youth workers, they, they go, they sit through a qualification, they believe that they then are able to run a session with 30 kids and in some schools they might just have two rowing machines which are which is sort of hidden in a, in a cupboard under the stairs type thing and and that isn't the case I, th I think what you have to learn is how to run a session with two rowing machines 20 minutes 30 minutes 40 minutes um, in a situation that is completely alien and new to you um, and make it fun and interesting and exciting so the young people and the athletes want to come back and try it so that, that's that's really what what we sort of wanted to do with our sort of teachers to make it sustainable where we would uh, put them through 
coach education and a coaching for teachers type course, we would then sort of work with them regularly to sort of deliver the resources and ideas and games and competitions and a competition framework. What then happens is when indoor rowing becomes uh, dull enough for those young people to think, what is the next step? I've done indoor rowing. I'm really keen to try the next thing. What's the next thing? I think if you can ensure that there is a very clear pathway to an on-water facility nearby, ideally, what you then have to do, we felt, is rather than initially one of our original ideas was that you would just signpost them that facility and that venue to that young person and invariably that doesn't work because all sorts of things happen uh, at that point. Life steps in, uh, peer pressure steps in, homework steps in, all sorts of other things step in to sort of stop that young person taking that next step onto the water. So what we try to do is then offer sort of free taster sessions for the school. So it could be that there might be 20, 30 young people using an indoor rowing machine in the school as part of an indoor rowing club, we could then encourage that school to come down and try a couple of free sessions on the water in a group environment. The school can bring them down. We, because we can do that for free, then uh, the, the school then provides the, the transport down there. You then make that really fun and interesting and exciting. And young people will buy into that experience very quickly indeed, we found. And they end up getting the bug and, 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 and getting hooked just like the rest of us have done on this sport of ours. And, and, and the outcome then is that you sort of make it really quite easy and quite simple for them to take the next step. And that next step might be a learn to roll course or a series of courses. So very clear steps and obviously very clear follow through as well. So you teach both the club and the school how to do it. Uh, yeah. Uh, we do. I mean, because we end up running for some of our clubs, we end up running the junior section for them. And, and I don't really mean for them. I mean sort of with them. But it's it's because we are running the junior section that we end up delivering the sessions in the way that we want to run them, which might be sort of alien to, to the club themselves. It might be that the club themselves don't necessarily have the same sort of level of risk or safety that, that we would. But we would instill that, you know, we have a different level of, of uh, risk assessment when it comes to wearing buoyancy aids and capsize drills and things. And that might be sort of alien to the, to the rest of the club. But actually, it works in the long term because sort of clubs buy into that. We would also like, uh, and I think this is really interesting, that, that, that some clubs, most clubs, most rowing clubs don't do this, but sailing and canoeing do, where they have a series of qualifications and levels and badges and stages and steps that you go through many 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 different steps to get to a point where you might be competent to be in a type of boat whether that's a a small topper type or laser type pico type sailing boat or a canoe or a kayak or different sort of levels of that and um, well rowing doesn't tend to do that what rowing tends to do i feel with with my experience is that a young person joins a club or an adult or they'll come in off the street, they might get a free one month's membership uh, trial. They then get asked to become a member. You pay your membership per month or in one hit and that's it. And that's all that is asked of you really. They might encourage you to paint some blades and work in the bar and sweep the floor and help out and that sort of thing. You might then go racing if that's your thing. But actually, 
I think there's a different way of doing this. I think I think clubs could possibly look at engaging young people that come into the club on on more diff, on, on more different levels in a way and, and and different stages, so they can sort of buy into what the sport is and sort of learn as they go along and sort of build knowledge as they go along. And do you think badges and achievement awards are a necessary part of that? I think having a very clear structure and step by step, a bit like uh, as I talked about from the indoor rowing to uh, taster session, from taster sessions to learn to row, from learn to row to club membership. I think if there are very clear steps, I think people find their own speed to achieve their own goals, um, and that sort of keeps people engaged longer and retains people into the sport longer. We were running learn to row courses in East London for young people who've never rowed before and achieving 50, 60, 65% retention and conversion from a learn to row course into a club member. And you're absolutely adamant that that retention rate is due to these clear structures. I do. I do. I think... I think people can see their progression as they go and they can see a very clear pathway as to how they are going to achieve what they want to achieve. Don't get me wrong, I think I think the, the, that pathway could be as short as you need it to be and as, as short as you want it to be. It doesn't necessarily have to be that you can end up racing at the highest level for some of these young people. It might be that they just want to come down every other Sunday. Um, and be classes of recreational role and just can have some fun. But from a progression point of view and a retention into the sport, I think it's key to have regular sort of steps for young people to sort of hit. And as far as the national governing body goes, obviously a lot of clubs look to them for guidance and advice, but equally there are a lot of clubs who feel that um, they don't want to have some a structure imposed on them. Is there some happy medium where clubs could sign up and get these sort of I'm thinking swimming badges you know you learn to row to swim 10 meters and then 25 and then 50 is there something like this that could be packaged up for clubs to take on board or do they have to invent it for themselves no I, 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 I think there can be we're talking um, with other national governing bodies as well as Ryan as to see what it is that they're doing what sort of packages that they have in place and how they how they might have a level one beginner in sailing, how that actually looks in relation to a level one beginner in rowing and whatever that might look like. It could be that that part of it is talking about weather and looking at the sort of conditions, looking at the sort of equipment, setting uh, setting the session in place. All of There's lots of different steps, I think, to take before sort of hitting the water. Um, and we are looking at how to do that and having conversations with other national government bodies to see what they're doing, to see how we might sort of slot in rowing to a similar sort of level. And you're doing that representing British rowing or off your own bat? Uh, we, we were doing that from the new throwing's point of view, but we would, uh, the, the next step would be that if that is something that we could sort of work with um, British Canoeing or British, uh, the, the RYA or the Royal Yachting Association in, in the UK, that we would then have that conversation with those three organisations and then engage with British Royal to see what their thoughts are about that and sort of develop it with them. Brilliant. And 
having seen clubs, obviously, as a member, as a sort of normal rowing member of the public and obviously also in your professional uh, side of things, what are the main things that you think a club could benefit from by looking at programmes like this? It, um, it, it helps kickstart uh, the club in, in lots of uh, situations we found. The, the, we've worked with clubs that had no sort of junior section in place for whatever reason. The, the, the members had sort of been very successful at a certain time in the past. They'd all sort of grown up together. They'd all sort of drifted away from the sport to start families and businesses and various other things and then come back. Um, and, and I think there are lots of clubs like this, certainly in, in the UK, where the, the, the membership is either very, very young or very, very old in a way. And it's, you know... The, we it, call it an hourglass of members. So you have a bulge <laughs> of young people, a narrow neck of people from age 18 through to about 30, and then a yeah. bulge of masters rowers, particularly masters women. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we wrote a blog post called, post called My Rowing Club is an Hourglass. Yeah, and it, it's spot on, I think. And and, and I think what a programme like Lundy Throwing or a sort of organisation like Throwing can do is help sort of bridge that gap by improving the numbers of junior members at, at the bottom part of that um, increasing the sort of skill level so some of those juniors can then end up rowing and competing with some of those seniors which then fills out the middle part of that hourglass it then encourages some of the older members to look backwards in a way look at this expanding group of juniors and the sort of that middle age of 18 to sort of 35 group see the increasing number there and want to sort of get more involved in the volunteering what we've certainly found is that when there's a level of success at the lower end of the of the club and at the junior section of the club then volunteers tend to get more involved and want to get more involved and that's i think that's one of the key sort of benefits of of what we're doing is to sort of develop clubs not just their junior section but across the whole board and we all know that with you know new junior members comes new adult members because they yeah. bring their parents and their brothers and their sisters and by bringing their parents they also bring new committee members and bar secretaries and treasurers and everything else and people who can help repair boats so what we've certainly found that sort of being involved in on new throne does tend to help sort of regenerate a club which is um, which is lacking in, in some of the numbers across all age groups, if that makes sense. So let's talk now a little bit about participation. You mentioned it earlier, and obviously one of the key targets post-Olympics for Great Britain was that sporting participation was a legacy that the Olympics would leave with the country. Now, yeah. having read the statistics, I know that rowing's participation numbers went down. Having said that, I was also told that the survey that established participation numbers was only done using landlines, not using mobile phones, and therefore yeah. excluded people without mobile phones. Do you have any um, reflections on this or insight into whether or not participation levels in rowing are growing? Uh, I, I do. And, and I know the survey you're talking about. I think the also one of the main issues is that the survey was taking was taking place on landlines in the early evening um, when most people are physically active and club members. 
members are out being physically active as club members. <laughs> How stupid um, was that? <laughs> um, it, it, it was an added challenge, I think. Um, that said, I, th I think the argument against it was that across all sports, they did the same. Uh, they did the same uh, review and the same sort of survey, and the results were different across different sports. That said, I think I think there is, I think there's different reasons why rowing came across as uh, as as lacking in numbers. My experience is that the numbers are are increasing. Um, in uh, 2008, we saw a huge huge uh, uh, bulge of people entering the sport. Um, just straight after the Olympics, it was uh, incredible at the time, and we sort of caught us off guard as well back in the day. And we sort of thought very carefully about that in the run up to 2012. We expected it, and we sort of aimed to sort of deal with that. And um, a, a lot of what we were trying to do around about that summer and the following sort of summer was to sort of engage with as many people as we possibly could to sort of give them almost a first taste opportunity of, of rowing. My, as, as I say, my feeling is that rowing is more popular now than it was. Um, I think it will continue to increase. I think there are other sports that have been able to sort of tap into their success quicker and easier. Cycling, I think, is is, is the main one there. Um, but from our point of view, the, the participation numbers are growing and growing. Um, we had a project that ran up until uh, 2013. And the final year of that, we worked with 10,890 young people in that year. And that is logging main key parts of information on each one of those 10,890. So we, we could track um, their uh, gender, ethnicity, uh, disability, their age, and when the last time they did any sport. It, it was interesting for us and was key for us to sort of develop uh, from a participate from a participation point of view but it was also sort of very interesting that at that time that we were looking at this huge sort of influx of people who wanted to try that sport um, and we sort of developed that through indoor ride. Now the numbers are coming down slightly now but that's more towards the sort of work that we want to do. We're focusing less on participation now or more on uh, the throughput figure of the numbers of sessions that those young people do. So we're working with fewer numbers, but encouraging them to do more sessions and to come more often. That sounds very, very sensible. I hope they redo that survey and obviously hope that rowing um, can be seen to um, increase and show how well it's doing. Absolutely. Does having paid coaches at clubs cause issues among the senior members of that club who obviously were brought up in the volunteer tradition? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, it it can do, it can do. What one thing that is is crucial to remember is that we, we have this sort of saying here that buyers, a very own model in a way of going in to help run a junior section within a a well established rowing club is a bit like sleeping on somebody's sofa because you're there but you're not based there. You're not part of the setup it is their club it is they are there as a volunteer they're there because they want to be our coaches are there because they're paid to be although you know i do believe we have the best coaches around and and um they're all incredibly dedicated and talented but it 
it is a very difficult thing to do to put a paid member of staff who isn't a member of that club into a club environment and expect it to go uh, seamlessly well. Um, it's very difficult to do. On the whole, it works very well. And the clubs that we sort of work with have sort of embraced that. And we do try very hard to sort of develop that. Sometimes it doesn't work. Um, sometimes it's it's quite clear that it, it isn't going to work. Um, and we've sort of moved coaches around and sort of worked with clubs less or sort of stopped working with clubs in a way where it hasn't worked. It's, very, it's pr pretty rare, but we have done that. Um, but it can be tricky, yeah. Um, and it is something that you have to look carefully at purely because of that idea that uh, club members own that club and it's their club and they've been there for years. And it's often in the case, and we all know this, that a, a person who's a member of a club is often there because their parents were there and their grandparents were there. And we all know stories of, of people whose families have been at clubs for many years. Um, and, and to bowl in, I think, with new ideas and new ways of doing things with without thinking about how this might affect and how this might be perceived within the club is is naive. Um, we work really quite hard at doing that. Um, does does that answer the question? That perfectly answers the question. I've got another question, which is um, more to do with uh, clubs and the crossover of coaching. How are you tackling the lack of available knowledge in coaching the sport of rowing? Is this a hindrance to the ability of your programme to succeed? Um, I or think do it's... you perhaps perceive there isn't a lack of, of knowledge, available knowledge in coaching? Um, I, I, think, I think there could be a lack of knowledge. Um, and if there is a lack of knowledge in a in a coach, it's certainly a hindrance to the athlete's progression. Um, I think a coach has to be able to read uh, different situations. Um, they need to develop a plan across the whole group, not just necessarily the individual. Um, I've, 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 I've got a belief that coaching is 90%, uh, 10%, 90% of rowing coaching is very similar if not the same across different coaches there are ergo sessions there are weight sessions there are on water sessions there are long distances there are all of those sorts of ideas that all coaches have it's the 10 percent i believe is the difference and i think the very best coaches those people that strive to increase that 10 percent percentage rate in a way and reduce the 90 percent that they do which is the same as everybody else and those, I think, are the best coaches. Um, and I think the way to do that is by finding coaches that you can relate to, that you sort of admire, that you can see what it is that they're trying to do, but also more importantly, to see why it is that they are making those decisions and making those plans across that group and why they are doing that as opposed to what the next coach down the street is doing. Um, Can you give us an example? We, we're looking at sort of engaging with um, Cambridge University Boat Club, um, where we are engaging our coaches to be able to go and spend some time with the head coach at Cambridge University. So they can not necessarily sort of learn from them, but they can go and talk to 
that coaching setup and that coaching team to see what it is that we're doing and what our coaches are doing, just to see how that might fit in, just to get some sort of feedback and just sort of some sort of support as to what our ideas are like and how that sort of might develop into our own coaching. But we have a uh, uh, we have Mark Hunter who's uh, excellent here working for London Youth Rowing and part of his role is to line manage and mentor coach some of our sort of uh, performance coaches. Uh, and what's interesting there is Mark has done a, a small amount of coaching in his time but also what's interesting is to be able to come at this from, a, from an athlete point of view where you can then explain to coaches how this feels and what other coaches are doing around a system and how that might be developed into sort of different structures. Very interesting indeed. We're coming to the end of our rowing chat uh, for this month. Matt, it's been absolutely fascinating listening to the journey that you've been on and to hear in your voice that you still have the energy and the enthusiasm uh, to continue and to make it even bigger and even better. We've got a monthly prize draw coming up. Everybody who is on the Row Perfect newsletter mailing list goes into our prize draw every month. And Matt has given us a prize. What's the prize, Matt? Uh, it is some um, uh, OIR uh, hoodie sweatshirts and T-shirts. And after the earlier comment about resources, we'll dig out some of our sort of indoor rowing school resources and put some of those into Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Any last things you'd like to say? Um, I, I, I'd just like to finish with uh, the fact that Lumi Throne is constantly sort of developing and we're sort of focusing. I, I don't want people to think that all we ever focus on is participation numbers. We're sort of now focusing on sort of how to develop uh, sort of performance side but also sort of how to develop some of the young people that we work with that when they get to 17 18 years old and they sort of leave our program and sort of go and join local rowing clubs hopefully or do any sort of any sort of sport club membership um they're also looking now at how do we sort of work with them to sort of find training and employment and uh and, and going into further education as well so it's it's more now of us how do we sort of further engage with some of the young people that we work with for seven, eight, nine years. And how do we sort of work with them going forward into the future? Very, very good. Thank you, Matt. It's been a delight. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.